You're listening to The Product Edge, and I'm Jade Bennett, Australia's leading product management recruitment expert, founder of Middleton Executive, and a professional development and mindset coach. In this podcast, I take you on a journey into the minds of exceptional product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and hustlers. In each episode, I introduce you to experts in their field, and my mission is to help every product professional level up and reach their full potential by providing you with the skills, insights, and tools that you need to excel in your career and gain your product edge. Joining me today is Anthony Murphy. Anthony is a product coach and consultant who trains and mentors product managers all over the world. He partners with CPOs to help build product-led organizations and high-performing product teams. His experience spans across several industries from startups to large corporates across the entire product life cycle. I've been really looking forward to this conversation for such a long time. Ethics in product and tech is something I find myself thinking about more and more. I guess we're all becoming more tech savvy these days and there's well-publicized scandals such as Cambridge Analytica out there. So welcome to the Product Edge, Anthony. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, Excited as well. This is a topic that's probably quite close to my heart, I think, or at least personally. Um, It's definitely one of my own principles and values too, yeah. Excellent. And what a topic we've got. But before we get stuck into trying to unpack ethics, can you give us an overview of your background? Yeah. So I guess a brief overview of it is um, the classic, nobody has really a linear path in a product these days, not, not until recently. So very similar to most people. Um, I kind of pinpoint the beginnings of my journeys um, doing a marketing subject at university. I did a business and IT degree. Um, ironically, didn't even know what product management was back then, but that sets you up very well for that type of career path. Um, but I had to do a marketing subject and I really wasn't looking forward to it, but I ended up really loving the idea of consumer behavior and, and um, all those types of things around that um, in that cognitive science space and how to apply that to products and, and marketing and that. So I ended up loving it, even though I thought I was going to hate the subject. And I think that was kind of one of the definitive moments. Uh, I left university. I actually became a software engineer. did a bunch of back-end development. Um, again, didn't really know this role existed or what to do. It was kind of like, do that, become a BA, become a project manager. It was kind of like the career path that they told me about <laughs> in university. Um, but I ended up actually leaving all that and I joined the military. Um, I went down to the Royal Military College in Canberra and I trained to be a leader which would probably be my second definitive stake in the ground that has put me on this trajectory. Uh, it's amazing and it's a whole nother topic, but how much synergy there is between the role and what you you are basically you know, tasked to do in the military as, as an officer and as a leader of say a platoon or, or a subunit or something. Um, so I, I didn't continue to pursue that full-time. I transferred to the reserves. I came back to corporate life and this is when I guess I started to land my first kind of product roles. I got a role as a BA and I pretty quickly moved into, it was in a scrum team, moved into more of a product owner role, um, kind of stayed in that more scrum delivery side of the fence. But then I really felt like I was missing discovery and and the whole you know product discovery side of the fence. So that's when I deliberately started to pursue that in my career. And I guess through a number of variant roles, that's how I kind of have ended up where I am today, I guess, more coaching and consulting on it, which is interesting. Yeah. 
Fantastic. And I definitely think that's another episode that we can circle back around to your uh, your career in the military and, and uh, the impacts and synergies that that would have had on you and, and your career. But um, I guess for now then, let's dive into ethics. And we all have our own code of ethics. And if we look at the workplace, there are actually laws that govern how businesses can operate and how we as individuals can conduct ourselves. Professions such as doctors, lawyers, accountants, they all have a code of ethics. But what about product management? Should there be a code of ethics for product managers, Anthony? Yeah, I mean, like, this is such a big question. And it's um, one that I think is super great. And it's awesome that we're talking about it. And um, and Radhika Dud, who's the, she's one of the co-founders of the Radical Product Thinking, she, she wrote an article that actually talked about having a Hippocratic oath for more product leaders than product managers as more of the responsibility bears on their shoulders and, and maybe start somewhere. Um, I, I do think this whole conversation is fascinating. I mean, um, you, when you think about it, technology is becoming more and more part of our lives. Um, the products we build, therefore, especially in a technology sense, internet of things, everything's interconnected. People look at their phones 80 plus times a day. Like, it's the impact is potentially or arguably greater than it was before, which means that the people who are like us, the product people building those products start to bear a responsibility that the impact that we have is potentially greater. But even like you can, you can see all these stories too, even like I, I think about the ones a couple of years ago about Ikea and the falling furniture. And, you know, there was all these calls for them to fix that furniture. And um, even though there wasn't really any laws to say that the furniture was, wrong or more incorrect like there, there was an ethical or moral kind of standpoint there um and so that's that's not at the scale of i guess like a phone app or something as impact wise but it was still great enough that a physical product like that had to be had to be changed um and they bear a responsibility too that you know hey your furniture is killing people so you know you need to do something about it uh, just like phone apps and stuff create an addiction and creating all kinds of other um, repercussions so i guess long kind of answer um i don't i don't know whether we we get to the stage of saying that you need to have it um i i do think that it would be as the impact of the products we build increase i guess the necessity for something like that becomes greater and laws and all that are always slow they're always after the fact. It's not until the world explodes or Cambridge Analytica, the ones you kind of mentioned earlier, happens that we start to change the laws. That's more of a reactive, you know, measure. It's yeah. not proactive. The idea behind the Hippocratic Oath or something is to be proactive. We can't just wait till doctors malpractice to then change the laws because that's, you know, really seriously damaged people's lives. Similar in product. We can't always wait until these unintended which will happen, unintended consequences will happen. We can't avoid that, but we can help prevent it by being a bit more proactive. But even at a base level, we can just increase awareness, I think, is the big one for me. Absolutely. Talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as a product manager or product leaders, having that understanding and awareness of, you know, what could possibly go wrong. And I think, you know, often great design can have unintended consequences or product misuse. You know, you mentioned how many times people um, pick up their smartphone in a day and the disconnect it's causing in society with individuals connecting. You know, you think about how long someone might spend binge watching Netflix or Stan or, you know, any of the streaming services instead of getting their 
healthy eight hours sleep. You know, there's all these unintended consequences and, and you can go on and on around gaming and addictive and the nature of certain games and, and the like. But should tech companies then more broadly really start to care about ethics and, um, and the responsibility that they have with the products that they're putting out into society? Yeah, I think so. And the, the interesting thing that I probably have been just pondering, and I actually wrote an article about this too, um, was this concept of um, we're moving into a different economy. We've talked a lot for the last decade or two about the, or longer actually, I think it was in the 80s that it was first kind of mentioned, the, the concept of an experience economy. And we've really capitalized on that. Everyone's experience it forefront. That's why product management has gone through the roof. Product design has gone through the roof. Um, we have all these ch- chief product officers, chief experience officers, uh, those types of roles. Um, but I think at the moment, it, as we know with the Kano model, you know, delighters start to become base expectations. So, same with experience, over time, that becomes more of a base expectation. We just expect things to perform and give us a delightful experience like Uber and, and Airbnb does, and that becomes our base expectation. A differentiator, however, I've felt, I've felt over the last couple of years um, is ethics and, you know, how many companies out there now are having an ethical standpoint? You know, like Bank Australia, an Australian example, um, they did a whole pivot company-wide, rebranding themselves years ago, um, and they called themselves Responsible Banking. They're the first bank to run completely on you know, renewable energy. So your money, and that's their value prop, right? Your money is not going into you know, damaging the environment. Your money is being, you, we, we manage it through renewable energy, so you're, you're carbon-free and neutral. Um, so there's more of that becoming a differentiator. If you look at the clothing, kind of the whole, especially the fashion industry, um, sustainable clothing, all that fast fashion, that's all becoming a big thing. Um, you know, so I think as consumers, our awareness of it is going up. Therefore, I think whether a company cares about it or not, I actually think they need to care about it because it's actually going to affect their their bottom line, right, on who's buying your products. Pentagonia, it's come out of nowhere. They're actually quite an old company, but in the last like five or 10 years, they've really accelerated. And that's purely because they're, you know, got this whole ethical stance and they charge heaps for their clothes, right? And the more and more they say, don't buy our clothes because of fast fashion, the more and more they sell. It's this really ironic kind of flywheel going on. Um, But yeah, so I think they should care. Yeah. You're absolutely spot on um, when you talk about the the ethical and the, the responsibility side of these brands that are accelerating because I think fundamentally these concepts are not mutually exclusive in the modern world. You know, to create shareholder value or profits for a business, you have to be cognizant of ethics as well as, you know, um, profitability, things like ESG, the environmental societal governance, which is, you know, getting a lot of traction at the moment. People do care about where their money's going and, and, and the like. So I think we'll see more and more companies looking at the societal, the environmental, the ethics um, as, as businesses. Just to um, circle back around, you mentioned the Kano model there. For those that don't know, what what is that? Give us a little bit of info on the Kano model. Yeah, so the Kano model is um, primarily used as a tool for prioritization, but you can use it for other things. But the idea is to assess um, features or functionality or or something uh, along a kind of two-dimensional axis um, around basically how rich that functionality is on an x-axis versus um, how much you know it, it 
provides value or delights the customer. Um, you will have things that are very unexpected uh, and that will delight you. We'll be like, wow, I didn't expect that. Um, and then there's similarly, there's things on the other end of the spectrum, uh, which is basically base expectations. This is the minimum standard that I expect. If you don't deliver that minimum standard, I am not gonna be happy at all. And even if you do deliver the minimum standard, I'm not gonna be over the moon, I'm not gonna be ecstatic. I'm gonna be mm, meh or satisfied, right? And then there's the varying degrees in the middle. The, the powerful thing behind the Kano is to try and work out where those things are. Are these things base expectations? Then we definitely need to do them, right? Because we've got to deliver a base expectation. What are the things that we can provide that are wow and delightful? And then you've got the performance, which travels through the middle. The interesting thing with the Kano model, however, that I was alluding to is the fact that things degrade over time. So once delighters will become base expectations eventually. Um, there's plenty of examples with that. You know, single sign-on, you know, one-click sign-on, those types of things, they were like mind-blowing, like, wow, I, I can't believe I can do this. Um, even face ID, that was a mind-blowing thing. Now we're all wearing masks and we're struggling with putting our pins in, which, you yes. know, only two, three years ago, we'll put our pins in and we're fine with it. But now we're like, ah, this is so annoying. But that's because it um, degrades over time. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. You make me chuckle when you say um, about the the mask in the phone because I was only complaining about it yesterday <laughs> myself, um, which is funny. So, um, okay, now when you're coaching product teams and working with CPOs and you're thinking about the, the delight that the customers may, customers may experience from a product, do product managers take the time at the moment or do product leaders take the time to think about unintended consequences? And we'll get on to AI, machine learning and internet of things that you referenced shortly. But surely when you're building products in that space, there's a lot that can go wrong. Is there enough thought and consideration given to, the, to those, yeah, the unintended consequences? Yeah, so I think... I don't know, it's a mixed bag to me. I think some some are more attuned to it and more aware of it and they, they think, especially product leaders, I, I guess with a level of seniority, you start to get more breadth and depth in your thinking and you start to um, think a little wider. So you start to think, oh, what, what impact is this going to have? And and often it is from a very brand or, or value kind of point of view. So if I do this, what repercussions does this have? Is this going to be affect negatively on our brand or those types of things? But that is still very important. And anything that's unethical is going to definitely affect negatively on your brand. Um, but so, but I, I also think that, again, seniority, I tend to find they're more tuned to it. Um, but I also just think that there's probably... Not as much as I think I would hope because I, I would like it to be at the stage where, and this is what I often coach on too, is that it should be at all layers, right? Like everybody has a responsibility in it. Um, and particularly as product managers, at, like on a team, you know, you are the last line of defense in a way for anything unethical happening in that company. You, you are the, the node between the customer and the organization. Um, so, and the market, I should just say in general. So you're the last line of defense. So, if the product leaders make it thinking about those things, there's there's a big disconnect between, maybe not a big one, depending on your organization, but there is a disconnect between that and then the actual execution and then the front line. So the more you can push it closer to that, the better, I think. And just the more you can make everybody aware. Um, and often it can be as simple, and this is one of the things that I kind of coach on is, it can be as simple as just pausing and taking like a few minutes to just think like I'm not even asking a lot of time. One of the ones, and this is one of the things that ties back into my military experience um, for those outside of Australia who don't know 
current um, 60 minutes is like a current affairs show. I'm going to reference that in a second. But they talk about the 60 minute test. So when you're about to make a decision, pause um, and then do the 60 minute test, which is literally just a few second pause and to think about how would my decision look on 60 minutes. Now, 60 minutes is sometimes hard for people to grasp. So I kind of um, tweak it to say it's the mum's test, right? So this weekend, I was sitting down with my mom over lunch and telling her about all the great stuff that I'm doing at work um, and this decision that I made. How would, would that pass the mom test or the grandma test? Or, you know, would, would they be proud of me to, to, that I made that decision or would they not be? Um, and it can be as simple as that, right? I love that. Absolutely. I think that's the, the go-to, isn't it, for, for most people. I know um, when I've done sales training and, and stuff in the past, it's, would you sell this product to, to your grandma or your mom? And if you wouldn't, you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. It's the go-to. Okay. So you have that mum test um, that you referenced, but that's clearly something that, you know, you, you, you've come up with. Are there any specific frameworks like the Kano model or, you know, all the other frameworks and, and models within product that actually acts as a, a checkpoint for product professionals to go, right, let's think about the unintended ethical product misuse. Is there any frameworks or formality around that? So there's a few tools out there and I, I get a little excited because I, I find that more and more are getting created. So it shows that Brilliant. the awareness is, is growing on this. Um, there's a website called Humane Tech. Um, they, uh, if a product designer I used to work with got me onto them. They talk about this whole concept of humane-centered design as opposed to human-centered design. So trying to put that ethical element into it. Um, and they have, they have a canvas, actually, a whole canvas um, on their website about things to think about. They kind of break it down between like attention economy and those types of things. So um, are you, you know, and you can kind of fill that out. Um, there's also a, a guy, I'm trying to remember his name, but he's up in um, Switzerland and he created this ethical canvas. You can probably Google it and look it up. Um, I went to a meetup, stayed away really late at night to watch that meetup um, so I could see it, but it was, it was very focused to tech products and the, um, the kind of, attention economy but you know part of the meetup it was getting feedback and it was iterating on that so it's fantastic to see that as well um other tools that are out there is you know the idea of even just you know doing unintended consequence kind of like mind mapping type things and those types of things i i often facilitate sessions like that okay we want to build this product let's just kind of go down this path and try and um pull it apart another great tool that I, I coach a lot on and I, I use a lot myself and I also got this from the military as well is the idea of pre-mortems so if you're going to launch let's say you're launching a product or you're developing a new product um, let's do a pre-mortem and the idea behind a pre-mortem is it's the opposite to a post-mortem if you've done that before um, is instead of waiting for everything to go wrong let's just envision the future that it has gone wrong and let's work backwards so what are all the things or the reasons why it went wrong and that can usually be a really good activity especially if you involve more people um, the whole product team even often, I should say, uh, to unearth those types of things. They'll say, well, you know, people didn't like this or something like that. And then you can kind of redesign or pivot from there. Amazing. I love that. And I'll certainly include links to the ethical canvas and, and the frameworks that you've mentioned in the show notes so people can access that if they want to explore it a bit further. So one thing that I'm really passionate about is... Um, unconscious biases and, and biases, um, broadly speaking. 
Is things like disability, gender, racial biases, is that an ethical product concern? To me, yes. And that's a really good one because that also ties back into why I believe companies, you know, when you asked that question before about whether companies should care, um, and I think they should. And the, the idea about doing things morally correct or ethically is not because not necessarily because they're going to make you profit, but because they're just the right thing to do. And again, when I tie back to talking about the more our lives become interconnected with products, the more we need to be more inclusive and and less biased. You can't remove bias altogether, but we've got to be more inclusive um, for sure. You know, and, and I recognize that we don't always have the exposure to it. So it's hard for us to, to see it. I mean, perfect example of this is so my mate's sister is she's she's blind right and so she uses an iphone iphones are brilliant for it actually they're very good you can write braille on it it's it's amazing and she uses the phone very differently to the rest of us um, but I, apple has developed it that way however if she tried to use a different product potentially she wouldn't be able to do it and there are certain apps and stuff that she just can't use um which doesn't really create an equitable even playing field for everyone so there is a responsibility there to be able to let it do that especially when you think about how integrated things become like you know i just did my tax the other month right and a lot of that's online now if if that's not inclusive then you've got a whole bunch of people that can't even lodge their tax online they need to do it you're forcing them to do it another way or you're forcing them to pay somebody or, or struggle in general to do something so i think there is a huge amount of responsibility there um yeah fantastic and even just thinking it through as we're talking you know i'm thinking about a lot of the companies i recruit for pretty much all of them you know have a real focus on building diverse teams and um you know more representative of the communities that that we serve and you know you just think about if you do have build those diverse product teams and diverse engineering teams where we all naturally have our own blind spots the more diversity that is in a team, they'll call out, have you thought about it from this perspective? Have you thought about that? And um, I guess by doing that, you're actually building more ethical products um, naturally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a crucial point because I, and that's what I was alluding to before about um, we're not all exposed to it. So like my mate's sister, I'm exposed to it. So I think about that. My dad's also gone blind. So I think about that. However, you know, um, I remember I worked in a product team and I worked with somebody who was colorblind and he was talking about, the, it was a web page that we're looking at and he was like i can't actually see that um and it's amazing because we're all we all got it gathered around we're like you, you can't see that you got we can all see that um and semi-fascinating but if he wasn't part of the team we wouldn't have picked that up straight away at that point in time um just like there's plenty of other ones right like other people who have um exposure to disabilities or yeah in inclusive and diversity so the more diverse you can make your teams the more you cover those blind spots you may not cover all of them but you can imagine if everyone um, you had people who never had exposure to any of that, but of course they're going to be building products with none of that in, um, in consideration or in mind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think diversity is again, another entire episode that we could uh, dive into. So back to the ethical side of, of product management and the responsibility of, of product folk, you touched on Internet of Things um, earlier. Where does Internet of Things, AI, machine learning, all of this, where does that fall into the conversation? Yeah, I mean, so I, I feel like it falls into the conversation just naturally to me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really see them as separate things, right? We just start to use more of these kind of technologies in order to build our products. 
Um, I guess the the bit the consideration that comes with that is sometimes with those new technologies, it means that the repercussions of our actions are greater, or the ability to see the unknowns they suddenly become more unknown unknowns if that makes sense. Um, it becomes harder. So when you are trying to understand what are some of the unintended consequences of this, that might be hard, um, harder. So I guess there's a little bit more consideration there, but it doesn't. I don't think it like changes the conversation i don't think it's anything different um what ends up happening is just maybe there's more blind spots so then maybe you might pivot your approach a bit more maybe you'll be a little bit more cautious with launching certain things because you know there's more unknowns there um you know you might adapt your approach so then it's not this big bang I, a good example was a couple of years ago um who was it was it microsoft or something they they released a ai um kind of product that basically learned from twitter and they yes. shut it down after 48 hours because it became a racist neo-nazi sexist like ranting thing and, and that gives me a lot of concerns with the content that's in twitter however yes. that's a good example they made that public um and then it kind of exploded in their face pretty quickly. But I also think that's a good example of um, how do you how do you deal with those unintended consequences because they're going to happen. Is that well part of being ethical and taking responsibility as we should be, and we do, and we we bear that responsibility as leaders. And, and I, I think it comes with the job, right? You, you're signing up for this, just like doctors and stuff. Whether people fully grasp that concept or not, I, I think we do. Um, is that you need to own it and take responsibility. It's you can't always foresee the future, but how you act when that kind of event happens, that I think is the definitive thing or the important thing. So you need to get up there, apologize, take it down, you know, don't leave it there and let it keep running, right? You you gotta be able to act. Yeah. And I think sharing and that information as Twitter did or Microsoft, um, you know, they, they actually share that with, with the world. So you can learn from that and, and, and tweak any future products and, and what you're building. When you reference that there are quite a lot of unknowns in the AI internet of things, the machine learning space. So obviously there's a, you know, a lot of blind spots and we just don't really know what the unintended consequences could be. Do you feel concerned that perhaps we're moving into this new space at a pace that is just so fast that they, before we're even able to stop and catch our breath and think about the unintended consequences, we're already there and then we're trying to deal with them? Do you think we need to slow down? That's a really good question. Not, not sure mm-hmm. uh, is probably my answer to that. I, I probably think the pace you kind of run into these things is probably not as important as the ability to adapt and to be able to admit mistakes and unwind and those types of things, if that makes sense. So, you know, a perfect example is what's going on right now with all the social media companies and all the calls for, you know, monitoring fake news and, you know, censoring certain individuals and those types of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and we've, we've seen it a lot this year for many reasons because this year's been even crazy. We even saw it at the beginning of the year with the bushfires in Australia, I remember, because my wife's French, so we're getting all these photos from her family and it's like the photo of all the bushfires in Australia and it was like the whole country was on fire. And I'm like, far from true. They thought it was and they thought that we were like on fire right now. And anyways, but yeah, it just shows how fast fake news and stuff can can happen. I, I guess my, my point is like we've run into that really fast. Um, but the probably more important piece of the puzzle is not how fast we can run into it, but how fast we can ad- adapt and change course, right? So how quickly can these companies that have done it can own that responsibility 
pivot and make a change. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the whole data piece is something that, you know, I, I find myself thinking about a lot. And even more recently in Australia, when, um, you know, the launch of the COVID app and trying to capture data, it was really interesting to see society's response to that. You had people that were very comfortable with it, but a huge um, sector of the population that just won and refused to to download it, even though there was potentially that, that greater good component. Um, so, yeah, I find that completely fascinating. And then if we move on to other aspects of ethics in product and something that came up quite a bit in in my research was dark patterns and, and the impact that that can have on consumers and, and behaviours. Well, what do you think about, about the ethics around that? Yeah, so like dark patterns is a great example and, um, you know, it's it's probably a space where that idea of having an oath can, you know, that could definitely complement that, you know, like an oath around not, you know, exploiting human vulnerabilities, but rather trying to amplify human good, right? You know, that's it's kind of the what what we should be aspiring towards from an ethical standpoint, perhaps. At least that's my my perspective on it, as opposed to yeah, the dark patterns and exploiting those types of things. I mean, oh, there may come a time where dark, certain dark patterns will become illegal. I mean, one of the things that I often think about is you, you think about it, um, and this is where the laws will eventually catch up. But like I said at the beginning, that's more reactive. You, you think about if I wanted to build like a physical shop or a store, um, the council is going to hit me and say, and the government's going to say, well, you've got to have wheelchair. It's going to be wheelchair accessible. Your aisles can't be this close. They need to be this far apart. So people with disabilities in um, can make it through you've got to be able to have all these types of things um, elevated access all that type of stuff um, for, for products we don't have any of that saying that yes we need to be inclusive you can't have these dark patterns or exploit pe- certain people and those types of things um, one day maybe the laws will get there uh, i think that'll be interesting but our reactive our proactive side of the fence is for us to to just not exploit those things and there's all those websites around dark patterns to be mindful of I think we should care about it. Um, the more and more awareness people get about dark patterns, um, I know, especially as a product person, you can become very aware of when you see other people do those patterns, it puts you off, right? Um, it definitely puts me off. I start to think, well, if you're applying the pattern here, well, what else are you doing that may not be so ethically or morally kind of aligned? Yeah. Absolutely. And how do you think somebody that isn't as familiar with dark patterns can spot it because I guess that's the the challenge, isn't it? That it's exploiting people that that are vulnerable. How 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 can you try and spot those those dark patterns? Yeah, I think my one of the things that I'm and I said this at the beginning around the proactive side is just awareness. And the more we can we talk about these topics, that's why I'm really passionate about to talk about these um, this topic. And the more the more we really share it and the more you know there's more websites there's a whole dark ux pattern website right that you can kind of look through it and i do get that people like us who are more product people are the ones who are going to go looking at that and we're going to have a greater awareness but i also just think that it's got to slowly proliferate right um you know once upon a time the idea of using a computer or a phone or something was very foreign to certain people. You know, I think about my dad as well, but probably still foreign to him. But, <laughs> you know, we, we slowly kind of get more inculcated into technology and those types of things. And we become more tech savvy um, to use that word. I, I think the same will happen with these patterns and the same will happen. You know, you look at how many people are data conscious these days. They probably have no idea what 
a data store is or, you know, or what the, the idea of the cloud and data is, but they're conscious about it. They're like, oh, wait a minute, what are you doing with my data? Just because we've talked about it more and people become more educated. I guess one of my hopes would be that one day we would educate kids on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my son's almost three and you know, he's born into a digital age and, and I hope that, you know, I'll try my best to educate him on it, but, you know, I hope that the school system and everything would support that as well to help him understand these things and, uh, and what to watch out for, data privacy and all that, you know, because I guess the whole Spider-Man line would be with great power comes great responsibility, right? So the more power we're getting with data and all that, then the more responsibility we have. And then we also need to educate people around that so they can make informed decisions. Yeah. Absolutely. And then it comes down, I think, to, you know, companies having that responsibility. But if you you, you you dig a little bit deeper, you know, you start to look at individual product managers and, and, and their own responsibility for the products that they're working on. Should product managers have a higher duty of care than a company's profits and bottom line, do you think? Contentious one. Mm-hmm. Um, my point of view, me personally, um, maybe I struggle to get a job after saying this, but <laughs> I think yes, for me personally. Um, and I do know many people who have walked out of jobs because they've been asked to do something unethically or something that didn't align to their own morals and then they, they, they did, they quit. Um, and, you know, I think a part of it's down to the individual. However, my big take on it all is that the more and more the products we build have a greater impact on people's lives, the more responsibility you have. So back to my point about this is this is something that you're actually you know signing up for as part of this job when you you when you become a product manager you are assuming that responsibility not just of you know the product itself and the people in your team and those types of things but as, as a leader but you're also assuming responsibility for the people that you impact so all those people who you know especially if you're working like financial products and stuff like there's a huge thing you're dealing with people's money it's not just their attention. I mean, like, you know, it's both are super important. Um, even Netflix, right? We talked about that before. Netflix has, you know, read things before about them saying we compete with sleep and they do, but there's an ethical line there to say, how far do you compete with sleep when people haven't slept for three days? Cause they've just been watching Netflix. Right. Um, yeah. So, and there's things you can do. I mean, like one of the things that I think, um, I, I don't know why they did it, but you know, one of the ones that I, do like with netflix is how it says like continue watching right so it does have a there is this kind of threshold there whether they did it for an ethical reason or not i'm not sure but that's probably a good example um but i i do i do think that we do assume a responsibility how you take that responsibility however is probably down to an individual however i believe that we we do have a greater one and that's what i was getting back to about being the last line of defense i think you also play a role in the organization to to push back and say hey this is actually not a great idea or this is very unethical or, or I don't believe in this or we shouldn't do this. Um, and you've got to roll the plate. Also educate, right? When I was talking about education just a second ago, you know, you should be educating, you know, the team and the organization. Okay, you're asking for this, but that's a dark pattern or that's, you know, not, yeah, we, we shouldn't go down that path and here's all the reasons for it. Yeah. Fantastic. And I think you're, you're spot on there, you know. I've certainly um, had a situation where I've worked in a company previously and I wasn't comfortable with the way that they wanted to go about things and and, and the operating model and, and some of the things that I was being asked to do. So 
I just handed in my resignation and, and left. And it was it was clear it was a conflict. It, you know, it didn't feel what sit right with myself. Um, and I think there's industries out there. You know, I'm not going to name them now, but you know, I talk to product people and they say I don't want to work in X, Y, and Z. They're just not interested in certain industries. And I think that's very obvious, and and people know where their their ethics lie. But I think it's that you know the the more subtle and the unintended consequences that I think potentially some product managers don't even know that they could be working on something or building on something, what that long-term consequence could be. And that's why I'm fascinated to, to discuss, you know, should there be a code of ethics or should there be some, you know, greater attention paid to looking at those ethical canvases that you referenced to, so that people start to think about it and, um, and, and decide, you know, yeah, where's my duty of care ultimately? Yeah, greater greater attention for sure, and greater focus is is probably where I stand. Um, and oats oats would help with that because we start to you know say there's there's a lot of cognitive science too behind actually saying that I will do something and then people actually doing it as opposed to um, so there's benefit in that. But yeah, I think greater attention for sure. You know, even if it's as simple as like that mum's test, right? Every time you're making like a doesn't need to be every decision, but like a big decision, right? just pause and think about it. And then the bigger decision becomes then maybe pause for longer, right? Maybe we actually do a pre-mortem. We're launching a whole new product. Maybe we should do that. Um, and just, just think about it. More, more will become second nature and the more you'll just become kind of um, attuned to it. And then you'll be thinking about it more is what you'll probably find. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, even if you are, um, you know, uh, an individual contributor in that in that product role, and perhaps the organization you're part of doesn't have it as a, a guiding principle today, if you just start doing it on a daily basis, or as part of your uh, process, it'll it'll roll out to to the wider team and and you start talking about it with your peers and and introducing it and then hopefully you know the the goal would be that that would spread throughout the organization and then the you know the 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 business starts to think about it more broadly like i think that would be a really good outcome yeah absolutely okay and then it might be a tricky question for you but how can someone manage these moral conflicts with their job duties you know it's it's easy to say you know you walk out of a company if you've been asked to do something unethical but what about you know any practical tips that you have for someone and how they can manage those moral conflicts with their with their current role yeah it's definitely a tricky um question i'd probably also say that i'm probably not like a psychologist and i'm probably not qualified to to to, um, say definitive things but I guess one of the things that resonates with me in that space is the idea of self-awareness and, and that's such a like EQ is such an important pillar of, um, you know, being a product manager and it's such an important skill as well. And having that self-awareness, not only for many other reasons, but also with understanding what your own values and your own kind of principles are. Um, I think that's a really important piece to start with. The more you can get grounded in those things, the easier those kind of decisions or conflicts become. I um, mean, you, you know, you referenced those um, product managers you've spoken to before, and I, I know some as well that we refuse to work in certain industries and work for certain companies. Um, and it's very clear to them because they're very in tune with their own principles and they're like, yeah, I'm not, never going to work for, you know, gambling organization or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um and it's easy for them because they're more grounded into it. So sometimes it, it, you can get benefit out of just, you know, spending some time thinking about those things. And um, 
yeah and ground yourself that's probably one of the things that really resonates with with me um it is also tricky right like quitting a job is a big decision <laughs> it's, it's not an easy thing to do you might have a mortgage to pay for kids you know those types of things so um try to i guess reconcile with do i continue working at a place even though i don't align with it or do i quit i, I can see how that's can be very difficult and many people in that situation i mean hard to make those decisions it's probably just like any decision, I think you just need to do the due diligence and spend time investing into that decision-making cycle and process to to outline the pros and cons. And and I also find that when you when you do that, you gain confidence in your in your decision whether you stay or not. You because you gain confidence in the fact that you've actually thought about it, you analyzed the situation. You're like, okay, I don't agree with them the ethically, but I'm staying because I have to because I got paid a mortgage. But I'm going to start looking for a new job as an example, right? Um, versus flat out quitting, but yeah, I think they're the main things that resonate with me. But yeah, it's it's definitely a a hard topic. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a challenging one. And I think you know, I think product folk generally they do need to have a passion for the products that they're building and and want to be part of joining a company because of X, Y, or Z. So um, you know, hopefully they don't find themselves in that situation too often but I think you know sitting with your own ethics and your own values and deciding whether it's something that you want to be part of that journey or not is is super important for anyone really as well yeah I mean that kind of just made me think of one thing like it it kind of comes back to like managing your career like your products right I mean we align strategy product strategy and what we do with organization strategy and organization values and principles and missions right statements it's the same with yourself i think and this comes back to the self-awareness piece the more you can get grounded in your own principles and your own mission in life and your own why the better aligned you can find a company and a product and a team that aligns to that right um and then you're gonna probably run into these things less or when you do run into them it's more clear cut to you because you are very clear on you know your career path and what you want to get out of it and where you want to go so so i guess perhaps just to add on the other things i said was maybe spend some time thinking about that um and maybe if you do find yourself in that kind of dilemma and trying to manage those conflicts maybe instead of trying to manage the conflict go back to that and maybe spend some time there because that might bring clarity onto how to manage that conflict absolutely great advice and um as we're about to, to wrap up the, the conversation, how did ethics become part of your, you know, your thinking? Was there a trigger point? Was there a point that you go, right, now I'm starting to think of, of this? How did it become sort of at the forefront of your mind and your thinking? So I'd probably trace the trigger point back to when I was at the Royal Military College. I mean, there's a huge module and we did all this training on, on like ethics and the difference between ethics and morals and, um, and the responsibility that you have and, and all that. And naturally they do that because, you know, as a commander in the military, your decisions impact lives. Um, so they want to educate that you on that. And then coming back to corporate life, I kind of had this like revelation moment that, um, we don't do that enough, right? We don't, you don't start many companies and they'll do that, you know, mandatory security awareness kind of training because they care about vulnerabilities and stuff. But very few of them will give you mandatory, you know, ethical responsibility or ethical decision-making um, training, which I would argue is just as important, right? Because one of them is about proactively protecting passwords and data and all that type of stuff. But the other one's about, the other side of the fence, which is less of your defense game and more of your offense game, which is the decisions that we make day to day that drive the product and the and steer the company, right? 
Um, so yeah, I kind of had this moment where I was like, wow, we don't do any like that of the corporate life. And then I started reflecting on the role. I started to think, you know, when I talk about those synergies, I started to think, well, the role is, the impact is huge. I mean, it may not be gunfire and all that type of stuff, but, you know, we're, we're still building products that arguably is probably a bigger impact, right? Like you think about the fake news, you know, I was talking about before and through social media, like how many people are reading that and then making decisions on that and then um, that, that affect their lives. Like that's, that's massive. Um, especially when you've got a platform, like how many users are on Facebook now? Billions, right? I, I yeah. kind of don't even know what the number is um, anymore. But yeah, so the impact of your decision there is, is huge. So I started reflecting, well, we really should be doing this. I mean, it should be, I think it should be mandatory as part of like, you know, you think about pay, product management courses and stuff, like we should should be talking about these things. Yeah, that was kind of my, my revelations. It was kind of tying the two together and thinking, oh, wow, we don't do this. And wow, the role has a big impact and um, it's important. I think it's really important. And then I think part of that, just the lines of my own values, you know, reflecting on building products and being like, well, I really should be considering these things. And I think I was considering them because of the training that I had before and the background that I had before. But then I started thinking, well, how many other people are thinking the same way as me? Because they don't have my background, so maybe not as many, right? Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. And I think, you know, it's great that the conversation is is happening more and more. So back to my first question around, you know, should there be a code of ethics for product management or oaths for product managers? It sounds like, you know, there should be some overriding principles or, or governance. Did, do you hope to see the product discipline mature down that path? Yes, I would. I mean, so I think the product discipline is maturing. It's really fascinating when I think about it because like it's been around for, for a very long time, much longer than people realize. Um, but it's only really been since a lot, a lot of this digital disruption that it's kind of been propelled forwards. And I think, it, and as a result, it's rapidly changed what it used to be from what it used to be. Um, I, I, my observation, I guess, on the industry and stuff is that we are maturing. We're starting to, you know, talk a bit more about, you know, standardizing certain things and um, leaning, even though like I think there's elements of how much can you standardize versus flexibility and that's another topic in itself. But, you know, we're talking about these kind of things and we're starting to talk about very similar things and we're trying to, we're starting to converge, which I think is good. Um, just like I was saying, I'm seeing this conversation happen more and more. Uh, so, yeah, I would like to think that one day it does mature and it gets to the stage where, you know, it is taught and it is, you know, you, if you went and did any product management kind of course, there's heaps of them out there that there would be an element somewhere in there that talks about this and talks about the responsibility that you have and the ethical repercussions. And then here's some tools and some things to think about on how to manage that. Anthony, it's been amazing talking to you today. Thank you for sharing your time and more importantly, your insights with us. We certainly have a lot to think about the future of product and how ethics will, will um, impact more and more. How can we stay connected with you going forward? Social media is probably the easiest between Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, yeah, they're probably the easiest ways to reach out to me. Yeah. Fantastic. And I will include your Twitter handle and LinkedIn profile in our show notes. So lastly, just before we wrap up, what would be your one piece of advice for product managers that are inspired by this conversation and starting to think about ethics? 
Yeah, so I guess my one piece of advice would be um, think about how you might be able to make this uh, like second nature, right? And think about it more. Now, this could be as simple as you have a decision-making cycle or process and you have a checkpoint, right? Um, that, that includes the mum test or something as simple as that. I'll start small. Yeah. Um, another way to do it could be to just kind of put a post-it note on your laptop that says like mum's test or something like that. And every time you sit down, you'll look at it. Um, and then hopefully that will be a trigger point for you to then think, well, what are some of the decisions that I've made? Maybe I should reflect on those things and see if they pass that test. Um, that would probably be where I would start. Um, and, and then the next piece of the puzzle would be to try and educate yourself more around this, like read those dark UX patterns and um, check out some of the things that we've talked about um, today and just maybe even just generally read up about, um, you know, ethics and, and those types of things and the impact, I guess, that other products are having. Yeah. Fantastic advice. I think um, we're going to see loads of product managers in the workplace with um, post-it notes saying mum test on their, on their laptops <laughs> going <sorry>. forward. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Anthony, you've been absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, love this topic. Thank you for listening to The Product Edge brought to you by Middleton Executive. You can head to theproductedge.com.au to subscribe to Australia's number one podcast for all things product management. I would love for you to subscribe, rate and leave us a review. Until next time, I look forward to introducing you to more product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators and hustlers who will share their insights and experiences to help you level up and reach your full potential.